Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. This morning, I, was, um, I had this nice shirt and I was going to wear it this morning and the button came off. I went, hmm, that's strange. And I went, oh, I'll just put another shirt on. And I went to the cupboard and I got this shirt out and I thought... As I was getting it out, I felt like the Lord said, this is for someone. This is a Converse shirt, which is just a brand shirt, but I picked it because I love what it says. Renew, 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 thank you. And I thought, when I bought it, when I looked at it in the shop, I went, that's such a strange thing for a brand to put on a T-shirt, don't you reckon? And I thought, God, this is going to be a blessing to someone for some day. I just didn't know when. Today's the day. So um, this is what I feel like the Lord was saying to me about this. Um, Romans 12 talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, and I love that, that verse. Uh, we've all got thinking that's stinking. All right? We, we, we can get caught up in the way of thinking that everybody's thinking. But Jesus doesn't want us to think like everybody. He actually wants us to take on the way he thinks. And he wants to renew our thinking to be in line with heaven's thinking. He wants us to see the world not as the world sees it. He wants us to see the world through his eyes and then breathe his words into that world. And um, the way we do that is, I think, is by a discipline. It's a devoted discipline um, called giving thanks. Um, the world does a lot of complaining, right? Everybody loves to pick on something that they don't like or complain about things, and we can get caught up into that whole uh, narrative. And I just want to say to you, the way that we can begin to renew our mind is we don't look at what's going wrong. Uh, we, can, we can know that something's going wrong. Well, we can begin to, especially in our own circumstance, we, but we begin to... Focus our attention on what God can do, what God has done, and what God will do again. And it takes us out of a negative, unbelieving, uh, everything's going wrong attitude and thinking to, okay, what are you going to do, God? So what I want to do is I want to pray for you this morning for a release of a great, gratitude and thanksgiving that is focused not just you know you hear people say i'm just so grateful well great grateful is great but grateful to who for me the gratitude is not just being feeling gratitude living a life of gratitude because i can be a person who actually i was talking to a guy last night and he's not a christian he's actually an atheist and he, he used the word blessed i'm so blessed and i thought that's really cool coming from an atheist. I use the word blessed when I'm thinking about what God's done for me. Um, but here's an atheist who doesn't believe in God using the word blessed. He, he recognises that, that, that there's goodness in his life and he feels blessed by that. But at the same time, people can be grateful for what they have but not acknowledge that what they have or what they've received comes from God. So I want you guys to have a heart that's filled with gratitude and thanksgiving towards God. And that 
as we do that by faith and give thanks to God, that your thinking will begin to think, change. You'll, you'll stop being defeated in your thinking. You'll stop being negative and critical and cynical about what you're looking at. So I just want to pray for you right now. If that's a word for you this morning, just put your hand on your heart. So I, I didn't realize, but if you do that with your right hand, that's where your heart is. So that's, that's a good thing. And sometimes when I worship, I like just to do that and just remind myself this is from my heart to you, God. So if that word's for you, I'm just going to pray for you right now. God, I just pray for each hand, Lord, that's upon their heart. We speak to hard hearts, broken hearts, cynical hearts, unbelieving hearts. And I declare the resurrection power of the living Lord Jesus into that death right now, that dead place. And the Lord declares over you, I'm turning graves into gardens right now. I'm de I, I declare into your heart, Zoe life. I declare into your heart a peace that overcomes, an overcoming peace that subdues darkness, that subdues death, that su subdues unbelief and cynicism the lord rebuke you satan from the work that you've done in this person's heart and we just say in the name of jesus the power of god the faith of god to come into that place right now i pray right now for thanksgiving to god and a gratitude to god to rise up in the place of unbelief and cynicism that you will begin to see and declare by faith that God is good and that he is good in me. And that God is able to, be, to finish what he, complete, what he began in you and bring it to pass. Lord God, we just thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are trustworthy. So we just declare that in Jesus' name over ourselves, over our hearts, over our soul, our mind, and all our strength. Uh, this week we're going to read a passage from Joshua chapter 2. We've been focusing on a passage in Joshua chapter 1. And we're doing a series called Faith Steps. And I wonder whether anybody can remember, if you were here last week, what were your takeaways from Roger's sermon on Joshua chapter 1? You know, it's really important that what God that we meditate and consider. It says in Joshua chapter 1 verse uh, six to nine, and it talks about meditating on the word day and night. Don't let this thing depart from you. Let it. The the word meditate actually means to mumble, to to speak out loud. Did you know that? That when you read the word out loud, you're meditating on it. Why? Because your ears hear it and it goes in a second way. It's it's kind of like uh, a cow. Uh, what do they call it? Ruminating. It goes in a second way because you can read it with your eyes and it goes in. But when you say it out loud, it's a second way. It goes in deeper. And the more we, we speak God's word uh, over our life and into our hearts, God can then speak to us through his living word. Um, I, I also always like the creation story where God spoke and it was. It's, it's the delivery of words that creates faith. Um, so what were Roger's takeaway? Sorry? Crossing the River Jordan. So what did that mean? 
Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. What does crossing the... I wasn't here. I didn't... Don't stay in the wilderness. What does the Jordan represent? Into new life, new things. There are moments in our life where we have to cross from something old into something new. And it takes faith, right? Get out of your comfort zone. My dog, still laughing. His name means laughter. Love his laughter. Yes, Penelope. Be alert. Oh, be, al- be alert and have your eyes open as you cross into these new things in any given moment. Ooh, it's a good word. All right. Well, we're going to, to read uh, Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, you, you, whenever you read uh, a scripture, you, you must read it in its context. Joshua has already been told... Be courageous, be bold, be courageous, because you're going to go into the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you're going to inherit you, and the people of, that you're leading will inherit this land. In fact, wherever you place your foot, I'm going to give it to you. So we keep that in context of what happens at the beginning of chapter 2. And then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly spent, sent two spies from Shittim, Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the man came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. And I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof, hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And before the spies lay down for the night, she went up onto the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. How cool is this story? Now then, please swear to me that the Lord that by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was on part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now, the men had said to her, this oath 
you made us square, will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brother and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be upon their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we'll be released from this oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be, be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills. They stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went out, down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. It's a good story. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come and we ask for your spirit to re-breathe upon this scripture. That you would reveal truth. Lord, you would reveal Jesus to us. You reveal your heart for the world. You reveal to us steps of faith that we can emulate, that imitate and model God. We pray that you would speak to us and Lord, that you would enlarge us, Lord, in this word. Amen. So, who were the spies? Well... That's a good question. Does anybody know who the spies were? Trick question. They're not named. That's good. They're not named. Uh, however, uh, there is a uh, part of Jewish history which is recorded in a, a book called the Mishnah, which was the oral teachings of the rabbis and the teachers down through the years. And this was put together. It's not in the Bible, but in the Mishnah, um, the history records that the two guys that were sent in were Caleb, who was part of the one of the 12 that went in earlier, and Aaron's son, who is now high priest. Interesting because one was from the old generation that got through by faith, and the other one was from the new generation who needed to go in. Caleb had already been in, and he'd already come back, and he'd already said, Let's go. God's given us this land. Yes, there are giants. Yes, there are problems. But God is greater than that. This new, he took a disciple, young disciple with him, a man of faith. It's the same guy. Uh, we're at a place called, in this story, a place called Shittim, which my kids used to love reading. <laughs> and I could go on with that. My dad, dad, look, there's a swear word in the Bible. Look it up. <laughs> there's that word but anyway they're at Shittim and, and, and you remember I talked to you about Numbers 20 and Numbers um, where the story where they got to a place where they God led them into a wilderness and they got to a dry place there was no water and Moses was told to speak to the rock well five chapters later they're at the border uh, right on the edge of the Jordan River at this place called Shittim same and at the same place where we're reading from and something really bad happens, this new generation start having sex with all the Moabite women in the surrounding ter territories. And God sends a plague upon Israel. 24,000 people are killed in this plague because they're actually doing two things. 
they're, they're having sex with all the women in Moab and they're starting to worship their idols. And this, this young high priest, the, the, the son of Aaron, actually sees a couple go into a tent and he kills them. Uh, in, and it sounds very, very violent. And God actually blessed him and honoured him for actually considering his name to be holy and to taking action on his behalf because this was done and right in front of the tent of meeting. So this young fellow had a tent close by and he'd taken a Moabite girl and he was having sex with her when this, this, this high priest just kills him because this guy is absolutely doing everything that God had told him not to do. And God said, you're a holy people, you're a chosen people, you're my people, you are not to do this with other people, you're not to worship their gods. So this is a place where this young fellow steps out in faith. And I, you know, I think it's really interesting, Yeshua sends two spies secretly into a land and he chose Caleb, the man of the older generation who lived by faith, and a young man who was living by faith, and he sends them in. He sends them in secretly, Why? What's the difference between the two sets of spies, the first spies and these two? The first spies were sent in publicly. They were the heads of all the tribes and they go in. Moses tells them in front of everybody, you've got to find out all these things. He gives a list of things to find out. And they come back and they announce publicly what? Ten of them come back and they sell all the good things and they sell all the bad things. And when they tell that, the people go riotous. And it doesn't matter what Caleb and Joshua say, the bad stuff overrode the good stuff. The unbelief, the fear overrode the faith. And it didn't matter. It wouldn't matter what Moses had said. It wouldn't matter what Joshua said. It wouldn't matter what Caleb said. This generation just believed the bad news. They, didn't, they weren't trusting in the God who had got them out of Egypt. They weren't trusting the God who had actually delivered them at every point, had provided manna and quail. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that um, uh, Joshua learned from his experience from Moses and he went, I'm sending two faithful men secretly. I'm not going to let anything they have to say go out publicly. I just need this for myself. But what's really cool about this, what do you learn about faith from the spies? I want you to imagine you were those two spies going in across the Jordan. How would you have felt? Took a punt going into the woman's house. Uh, I think they took a punt going in through the city gates. Because in those times, there were people, uh, soldiers set at the gates to interview people as they arrived that they didn't know. They were looking for spies. Here's what's really interesting. Um, what do you learn about their faith? These guys went um, knowing, not knowing how the people would receive them. Not knowing whether if they got captured, what would happen to them. What happens to spies? They're killed. So they went knowing that if they got caught, they would be killed. But they went knowing what? Joshua sent them. Why did he send them? What was 
Joshua's intent in sending two spies? Was it that he needed information about how to defeat Jericho? Go back to Joshua 1 and you'll learn that God says to Joshua, wherever you place your feet, I'm going to give it to you. Now, when you send someone on your behalf in the New Testament, they are called an apostle. In today's world, the same word translated into Latin, which is translated into English, is missionary. So when you send someone on your behalf to do something as a missionary, they're on mission for you. It's like you have sent them. So when these two spies went into the land, who are they going? Who are they representing? Joshua, who is representing wherever they placed their feet was like wherever Joshua placed his feet. And wherever God, and God said, wherever you place your feet, I will give it to you. Before they had to go in, God was sending two spies to go in and place their feet. And wherever they placed their feet, they were going to be given it by God. How cool is that? There is, a, there is a, a, a rule of faith here that God will actually give you an idea of where he wants you to go and what, what he wants you to do, but there is this stepping in. There is this active activation of our faith. You know, um, in all my experience of throughout my years, there's been a step of faith that's been required for us to take. Um, I told this story to the earlier service, but... The step of faith to take to, to actually move into our, our new campus at Balmoral began years earlier, whereby um, uh, Michelle and I would drive past the old Cary Baptist building, which was kind of an army green colour, and it had a chain wire fence, and it looked old and it looked weary. And I used to pray, God, please renew that church. Renew the people of that church. Let them be a vibrant light upon that hill. And I would pray that every time I drove past it, not knowing that God was making a way for us as a church to do that. Then George was in an elders meeting and we were so frustrated as an eldership about the fact that we'd been talking about planting a new church, uh, planting churches, planting congregations out of Newhart for six years maybe 10 years, and George said, we've got to stop talking about this and do this. And then the next words came out of his mouth. I've been talking to Max, uh, Russell Horton's dad, who just passed away this couple of weeks ago. Um, I've been talking to Max, and that group of people are down to 10 people and are about to sell the property, and they're about to give it away. They're going to give the money to missions. And George said, we can't let them do that. Why don't we go down there and talk to them and see if we can't start a new work there. You know what? I was talking to the earlier service. That was planting a church at Balmoral, Balimba, was the last place in the world that any of us thought. We always thought it would be somewhere local around here. And yet God had planted a seed of faith and then stepping into that with that prayer of faith. And, and then all of a sudden I went, that's the same place I've been praying for. Can you see how God goes before you? And he says, I want you to go. Uh, when we first bought our, house, our first home, we went to a block of land up near uh, Lou's place in, in the Mackenzie area. They were just developing blocks of land. And we felt the Lord said, go and pray over, uh, over a block of land. So we went, we thought, oh, we'll pray over this. We'll get this one. 
But what God was doing is he was increasing our faith capacity and he was asking us to pray for the impossible. At that time, we didn't know how we would get a loan. We didn't have money for a deposit. But the Lord said, go and, and pray over this, this land. And we thought, okay, oh, Mackenzie. He said, no, no, Mackenzie, where do you live? Mansfield. Mansfield. There's a, what do you call that estate? Mansfield. Anyway. <laughs> details, details. The point was, is that what God, we thought, oh, we'll get that land. No, we never got that land. What God was doing, he was getting us to, to, to step onto something, not physically, but to actually operate in a faith that said, God, you're going to open a new thing to us. And eventually we bought a, a, a house in Mansfield that was already built and stuff like that. But the point was, God was moving us out. Like these spies, they had to go in before Israel went in. There was this, this faith moment and God is wanting to take you from where you are into something new and he's going to take you out of the old and out of the comfortable and he's putting you into a new place and let me tell you, the new place is good. It's not without challenge, but if it's God leading you, it's good. Why? That's how God is. Uh, who was... So what... what we go back... Um, what do you learn about faith from the spies? Yeah. So they come through the gates and all hell breaks loose and someone says, spies, tell the king. Where is the first place they run? They've just gone through the gates. <laughs> they go to the whorehouse. We know they go to the whorehouse, but where was that? In the wall. I reckon they did a quick right straight up some stairs and into Rahab's place. But that, all the way along, there was, I think, it doesn't say this, but I think there's this quiet confidence God's got this, right? We don't hear about that, but what we get to is right towards they start talking to Rahab and start talking about when she says, I want to make a deal with you, your life uh, for my life. And, and they said, when the Lord gives us the land, we're going to do this. They had no, no, no problem about that. And then what was the report they gave to Joshua? Did they talk about the wall and how high it was? Did they talk about anything to do with the land? No. They go, right, the Lord has given us and the people are melting with fear. That's their faith. That was the same kind of report that Joshua and Caleb brought to the people, but it wasn't listened to. And Joshua said, that's music to my ears. It doesn't say that. But I reckon that's what happened. All right, what do we learn? Who was Rahab? All, all we're told is that she was uh, a prostitute. Um, some people have tried to, uh, to water that down and say she was a tavern keeper and stuff like this. No, I, I just think um, all the commentaries I've read uh, about this suggest that the word prostitute is fairly clear. She was a prostitute and that's not a problem for God. In fact, uh, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you will see five women listed in Jesus' genealogy, the family tree. 
The first one is Tamar. Tamar had sex with her father-in-law, tricked him into having sex with her father-in-law, Judah, because Judah wouldn't do the right thing by her and give her another husband. Then you have the story of Rahab, who was a woman of faith, who believed, who was actually scared by what she had heard, but actually did something that said, I want to be on God's side. Then you have uh, a result of that. She marries a guy called Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz, who married Ruth, who was a Moabite. Where they were living, in, where they were camped in Shittim was Moabite territory. And Ruth was a woman of Moabite. And the Moabites were actually considered to be horrendously against Israel. A woman marries Boaz. And I re- the reason, one of the reasons I think that Boaz married um, Ruth was because in his line was a man who married Rahab. And she became a woman of faith. And Boaz said, well, if my grandfather can do that and she became a woman of faith, I'm marrying Ruth because she is a woman of faith. And then you read stories of Bathsheba and then you read the story of Mary and uh, and out of that, those five women, three are women of faith and two are, by, are kind of people that were not known for their faith but God used. What I want to say to you is this. There are people in our lives who you wouldn't expect to be led by God to. These spies would not have thought when they left that camp in Israel to go across the Jordan and to go and check out Jericho that the first thing would have happened is, is that they would have been... Uh, been identified as spies and that they'd have to be hidden and saved by a prostitute. And not only just saved by a prostitute, but a woman who believed and had the fear of the Lord upon her and who actually wanted to be saved, her and her family, and actually had faith in God who had done that. Do you know that in our lives, wherever God sends us as missionaries, as those who are called and sent, he sends us to people who we are least unexpected to have met and to encounter because God places them in our life. And guess what he's done? He's already got a testimony going on in their hearts. You know what she says to them? She says, um, we heard about what God had done for you and how he's given you this land and how, how he got you out of Egypt, dried up the Red Sea, how he, he defeated the kings of Sion and Og and and." And, and she's got this faith. She's not only fearing, she's actually going, now, protect me. I'm under your covering. I'm hiding you so that you can hide me. And the guys look at this woman and they, and they actually go, yeah, right. This is a woman of faith. People, this is a picture like Jesus sends two his disciples by two in Luke 10 and Matthew 10. He sends them in two to go into villages and pronounce good news. This city, Jericho, represents the world. It's about to be destroyed. It's going to be judged because it, is, it, it may fear God, but it doesn't want to turn and know God. But guess what? There are people in this world who fear, both fear God and want to turn and know God. And you just never know who you might run into that is in that same position. We go in with this idea that God is sending us. We go as people of faith. 
we go knowing that God can lead us to people like Rahab. There's another story in the New Testament. It's not a woman, it's a man. His name was Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion who was a, described as the devout God-fearer who, who uh, was known for his charitable works. And he was, he was seeking God. And Peter, a Jewish man, is given a dream to go and share Jesus with this man. And you and I think about, we hear the word Roman centurion, we just go Roman centurion. But to a Jew, a Roman centurion was like the worst enemy. Rahab the prostitute was nothing compared to a Roman centurion. It was just as detestable as a, as a Moabite or an Ammonite woman who was a prostitute. It was a Roman centurion and Peter was sent to him. And you know what happened? They, he, gets, he gets to hear the good news about Jesus. And he and his whole family are saved. We are living daily among people who we may not expect to meet. The spies didn't leave their camp thinking we're going to meet a prostitute who's going to save us, who believes in God. That was not on their radar, but they get there and God uses this person to save them and starts to build a genealogy of Jesus. This woman changes history. For her and her whole family... But it changed my history and your history. God used an Ammonite Rahab prostitute to, to be the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Her faith at that moment saved her and her whole family, but for generations, the whole world. I go, God, this is huge. Do you see this? And then she becomes a hero of faith. Hebrews listed Rahab in verse, uh, chapter 11, 31. And James, again, mentions her as a woman of faith. She's a hero. Why? She feared God. And she believed that God had given the land to Israel. And she said, I want to be on that side. Who do you know, who do you don't know yet, that God will lead and you will have a scarlet cord? You know, that's one of the ways I know she had faith. They said, if you tied this scarlet cord up in your window, uh, when we come, we see that whoever's in that place will be spared. You know, uh, archaeologists found one place in that wall in the ancient wall of Jericho that was not destroyed. That's pretty cool. I looked up scarlet cord and there's only one place in Leviticus that talks about scarlet cord and you know what it was used for? It was used to cleanse an unclean house or person from leprosy. It was something that a priest would carry with him and he would take it to clean a house of the unclean. He gets out this piece of cord and says, you're no longer unclean. You put this there in your window, you're clean. It's cool, eh? We get worried about the world contaminating us when actual fact we don't realise, but Israel's wandered around for 40 years 
so scared of taking what God had promised. And they get there and the first person they meet says, we're scared of you. <laughs> and actually, in fact, we want to know the God that you. We're so worried about what people think of our faith. We're so reluctant to share it. We're so scared about their reaction, not realizing there are Rahabs out there every day of the week who just want us to turn up. And, and they say, I've been learning about God. And you go, from here, where? And you go, oh, I've been reading this and talking to that person. God's prepared them in advance. And they're just ready for someone to tell them the message. It's great stuff. What does that mean for us? That's for you to take away and consider that. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to... There's that scripture that... Do not let your hearts be troubled. Does anybody know what comes after that? Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. Yeah, I go ahead of you. God is always before you people. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Banish fear and doubt. In the name of Jesus. I just speak to the spirit of trouble over people's hearts now in Jesus' name. And I break that power off you in Jesus' name. That's the Lord speaking to your heart. You will know it. You're feeling a tension in, in your heart area in your chest area just tell it to go in the name of Jesus spirit of trouble we command you to leave in Jesus name we declare over you a spirit of faith power and peace in the Holy Spirit and a renewing of your mind. Maybe as you, uh, as you leave today, you might talk about what does this mean for you. There's someone that you came with or someone close to you. You could say to the person that you're next to, what did that mean to you? What did God say to you today? Go and tell that story to somebody. Go and tell how the reckless love of God saved a prostitute. I love that song. God's not reckless, but his love appears to be reckless in the hands of people who don't treat it 
You don't, this proverb says, you don't throw your pearls before swine. And God's love just goes out to people and he knows that they don't really fully appreciate it. But he just gives it away. He gives it away. He gives it away. He comes to people that were his own and they did not receive him, says John, about Jesus. The relentless, reckless love of God just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on. I'm so in love with Jesus. So grateful for him. God bless you.